electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, Glafira Rosales is a novice to the New York art scene, but she has all the right moves. She really played the relationships right. She says she holds the key to a treasure trove of never-before-seen masterpieces. Jackson Pollock with famous drip paintings, Mark Rothko, Robert Motherwell. These are paintings that go for millions of dollars each. A tale with enough mystique to draw millionaire buyers. Collectors are greedy for recognition and for artwork that lends them prestige. But before you open your wallet, you may want to look twice. Every aspect of the story behind those paintings was a red flag. It turns out skilled forgers know how to splash paint, too. Golfiro Rosales was able to take 63 paintings, get $33 million out of them, and then the gallery sold them for $81 million. And Glafiro Rosales is a modern master in the art of the con. The experts believed it. Collectors bought it. It was auctioned off by big auction houses. I mean, this woman was sitting on top of the world. Teeming with galleries, museums, and hundreds of art dealers, New Yorkers work hard to keep their art capital booming. So in 2011, when one of New York's most venerable art galleries suddenly closes its doors, the art world is in shock. Nodler and Company has been in business since 1846. And according to art historian Jack Flam, they've held a sterling pedigree. Nodler and Company had one of the largest reputations of any art gallery in the country and one of the largest reputations of any gallery in the world. Its legacy was built by supplying art to Gilded Age tycoons like Cornelius Vanderbilt, John D. Rockefeller, and J.P. Morgan. Over the years, it evolved. It handled old master paintings. It handled modern master paintings. And then from around 1970 or so, handled contemporary art. And in each one of those domains, it really handled blue chip art. Nodler's closing after 165 years is surprising. But the real kicker comes when rumors start to surface that Nodler is embroiled in a massive art fraud. People who had bought paintings from Nodler were coming forward, having their paintings forensically tested. And soon, former federal prosecutor Jason Hernandez and U.S. investigators will prove that a supplier provided the gallery with fakes sold for millions of dollars 
to some of America's wealthiest collectors. What those paintings represented would have been one of the greatest finds of the abstract American Expressionist school. And these are paintings that go for millions of dollars each. Nodler, along with the gallery's director, Ann Friedman, say they've been fleeced just like their clients by a persuasive swindler named Glafira Rosales. Glafira Rosales is an incredibly sophisticated con artist. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game, a book about fraudsters. She became intrigued with the story when the rumors started to erupt. What drew me to it wasn't just kind of the glamour of the art fraud world, but how it is that incredibly smart people sometimes believe things that to an outsider seem incredibly dumb. According to court documents, Glafira Rosales and her boyfriend, Jose Carlos Bergantinos Diaz, arrive in the U.S. sometime in the early 1980s. We don't know that much about what her life was like in Mexico, which was her home country. We know that she worked in different jobs in the United States, some in the art field. First, they settle in Houston, where Glafira waits tables and Jose finds work as a kitchen helper. It takes them little over a year to earn enough money to move to the real city of dreams, New York. In 1986, Rosales is granted permanent residence. She and Jose Brigantinos have a daughter and buy a small house in the suburbs. Rosales even fulfills her childhood aspirations and opens a small gallery business called King's Fine Art. What Glafira Rosales told people was that she was from a family that loved art, that had a lot of people come to their house for art salons. And so from a very young age, she was fascinated by this world. Sometime later, Rosales meets a well-liked figure in the New York art scene who happens to hold a position at Nodler Gallery. He offers to set up a meeting with the gallery's director, Anne Friedman. Anne Friedman was pretty new as the director of Nodler. She'd been very successful in her art career and someone who knows how to sell things to people, which is what you need in the art world. But now she really wanted to make a mark as the female director of this really prominent gallery. As luck would have it, Rosales is looking to make her mark too. So in 1995, when 40-year-old Glafira Rosales breezes into Nodler and Company with a canvas, she's the epitome of a well-dressed and cultivated art dealer. Lawyer Luke Nikas represented Ann Friedman in what's been called the art trial of the century. You have a, a woman who's unassuming. She's not slick. She doesn't have this well-planned story. Uh, she's got a relationship with a man who inherited the painting from his father. And he lived in Mexico, and he just wanted to get rid of this collection. Friedman leads Rosales upstairs to a small drawing room. The painting's warm, peachy background with two ethereal clouds of color is immediately recognizable as the work of Mark Rothko, a leading artist of the abstract expressionist movement. Rothko, along with Jackson Pollock, Robert Motherwell, and a few select others, 
were leaders of the abstract expressionist movement that emerged in New York during the 1940s. That handful of artists are the artists that are mo the most valued, have the, the largest reputation, and in some cases also fetch the highest prices. People don't walk in off the street carrying a Rothko, and Anne Friedman knows it. When questioned, Rosales spins her tale of growing up in a prominent Catholic family in Mexico, surrounded by the creme de la creme of society. That's where Glafira came in contact with the heir to a secret art collection, a man she refers to only as Mr. X. To begin, she would try to sell the collection of a painter friend, someone whose confidentiality she wanted to respect, and so he became known as Mr. X. Mr. X's father had been a patron of the abstract expressionist art scene. He purchased artworks straight from the artist's studios, paying in cash, so the assets and taxes were never declared. According to Rosales, there's another family secret that needs to be kept. This man was married and had a family, and he was a closet homosexual. And in Mexico, supposedly, it was dangerous to be a homosexual at that time. And so the man had died, and now his son was selling the pictures, but he wanted to do it as discreetly as possible. But there's a bonus, and it's alluring. This Rothko is just the tip of the iceberg. Her secretive client has a collection of previously unknown works by Robert Motherwell, William de Kooning, Jackson Pollock, and more. A uh, Pollock painting in 2015 went for $200 million. Only a few years before that, a Rothko went for $86 million. There are really big numbers involved. This collection has been hidden in storage for decades. But Rosales is not an expert in abstract expressionism, and her own gallery is too small. It doesn't seem to matter that few in the art world have heard of Rosales. This art is some of the most valued art of the 20th century. People pay tens of millions of dollars for it, and we haven't had anything new in it for a while. The gallery's new director, Anne Friedman, is dazzled by the prospect and profits. Up until now, Glafira Rosales has been circling the fringes of the New York art scene. She didn't know that much about art, to be perfectly honest, but she picked up a lot from the people around her. Her new contact, Anne Friedman, the director of Nodler Gallery, has the power to launch her into the upper echelons. Glafira was delivering a great product that she knew would catch the attention of the right people. Glafira's portrayal of the unassuming novice is picture perfect. I always think about the excitement that Anne Friedman felt, uh, like the excitement you might feel finding dinosaur bones. It's, it's this unearthed discovery. But a slight drawback emerges. The recorded history of ownership that proves its authenticity is called provenance. And this one is murky. The provenance is a really important concept in the art world. The story was that they were purchased by a family, a collector, directly from the artists 
often purchased outside the back of the gallery in exchange for cash, and that they had been kept in storage, basically, for decades. So if you believe that story, the lack of provenance actually makes sense. So over the next decade, Glafiro Rosales provides Nodler with a few new paintings each year, all by heavy hitters. She sells additional works to art broker Julian Weissman, another New York art dealer. Her anonymous collector, Mr. X, turns out to be the gift horse that keeps on giving. The most high-profile artists, Jackson Pollock's, Rothko's, Motherwell's, I mean, you name it, it was there. And discretion is fundamental to the rare art market, where collectors are often tight-lipped about selling. Secrecy is highly prized in the art world. When you're a buyer, you're not entitled, for example, to know who the seller is. Or if a broker comes in with a piece of art, they don't have to necessarily disclose who their client is. Still, Rosales's secret collector poses a vexing setback when it comes to negotiating prices. The more provenance you have, the more detail you have, the more likely it, the work is going to sell for a higher price because the backup is there. When Ann Friedman pushes her for more details, Rosales names David Herbert, a deceased New York art dealer, as the go-between. She hears the name David Herbert as someone who has been associated um, with, with these artists who was also part of the gay community at the time. And so all of a sudden, David Herbert can be someone who's connected to Mr. X. To help shore up the murky provenance, Nodler shows the works to art experts to get their opinions. Ann Friedman, Nodler Gallery showed these paintings, including the very first one that came in the door to some of the finest experts in the world on Mark Rothko. They saw these paintings, several of them, and said these are convincing. Art historian Jack Flam recalls viewing a painting at Nodler by Robert Motherwell. She showed me a Motherwell elegy that was on the floor in her office, and she said that she had just got it. Flam had been close friends with Motherwell until his death in 1991. The work is credited to Motherwell's Spanish elegy series, and it catches him by surprise. In the elegies, which became his signature paintings from 1948 to when he died in 1991, he painted over 170 elegy paintings. There are also the paintings of his that fetch the highest prices on the market. Friedman never mentions the name Glafiro Rosales. Instead, the works are generally referred to as the Herbert Collection. And she asked me if I remember correctly at that time whether I'd ever heard of someone named David Herbert. And I said, no, I had not. And she said he was a well-known art dealer. And, you know, at the time, I, I thought, well, you know, that's nice. Jack Flam doesn't think of questioning Nodler's rock-solid reputation. And so, you know, you're in Nodler, you don't think twice. Here it is. And of course, there's that added boon for buyers who are willing to accept the lack of documentation. These are artists that are really, really difficult to get and that command incredibly high prices. Now imagine you can get those works and at a bargain price. So not only are you a brilliant art collector, you're also a pretty genius businessman. Some collectors are more wary than others. Rosales sells this purported Jackson Pollock to Nodler for $750,000. 
In 2001, Knoedler turns around and sells it to Jack Levy, a co-chairman at Goldman Sachs, for $2 million, with one caveat. The sale hinges on Knoedler obtaining a review verifying its authenticity from the International Foundation for Art Research, otherwise known as IFAR. It had a panel of experts put together to give their views about the painting, and they wrote a report. But IFAR won't positively attribute the work to Pollock and deems the provenance questionable. Nodler discreetly cancels Levy's sale and refunds his $2 million. But Nodler's mission is to sell. These works were really exciting. Some really smart, prominent people uh, bought these works for their collections. A California collector pays $3.1 million for the painting said to be by Jackson Pollock. John Howard, who runs a billion-dollar equity firm, purchases a William de Kooning for $4 million. In 2004, Domenico del Sol, a chairman of Tom Ford and Sotheby's, buys a purported Rothko for $8.3 million. By 2006, the market for abstract expressionist art is enjoying a renaissance. Thanks in part to Glafira Rosales' collection of never-before-seen masterpieces. For works by major artists to come up on the market, it's extremely rare. But for multiple works by the same artist to come out of the same collection is very, very unusual. The alliance between the little-known Rosales and the prestigious gallery like Knoedler might seem strange, too. But it appears to be kismet. Rosales just built slowly this relationship of trust. Uh, she would talk to Anne about her daughter's musical talent. She would talk with her every single birthday. This was the sort of thing that really made Anne Friedman trust Glafira Rosales. While Rosales is the supplier, Anne Friedman is the face that makes the sales. Meredith Savona was formerly with the FBI's Art Crimes Unit. She offers an analogy of Nodler's prestige. If I buy a diamond from Tiffany's, I'm not gonna then take it to find out if it's authentic. I bought it from Tiffany's. If I buy a painting from Nodler Gallery, I have to assume it's an authentic painting. It had that same kind of reputation. Often there'll be experts who in their heart of hearts think that a painting is fake, but they'll never express it. And part of that is due to the politeness of the art business, but really it's also driven by the fear of being sued. So in January 2007, art historian Jack Flam is at odds when a Robert Motherwell painting pops up at Julian Weissman's, another New York art broker. We had no record of it, and this is always very exciting to see a new painting. The Spanish elegy reminds him of the Motherwell he saw in Friedman's office before. But there's something strange in the details. I had certain kind of in my gut misgivings about it, and was by then 50 years old or more. Uh, and although it was warped, the front of it, the paint, was not warped or cracked, which looked odd. He holds his tongue, despite his misgivings. You're always advised not to police the market. It's not your job. But nonetheless, you want to protect your artist's legacy. 
As it happens, Flam is also president of the Daedalus Foundation, founded by Robert Motherwell. Daedalus is in the midst of compiling a catalogue raisonné on Motherwell. A catalogue raisonné is a gathering of all the works by an artist. By common usage, it becomes the standard for establishing what are the authentic works by the artist and what is their authentic history. During the process, researchers track down every known work by Motherwell. They enter it into their database and assign it an ID number. And you see the difference in the late 58. I still kept that sense of spontaneity. While studying seven paintings attributed to Motherwell's Spanish Elegy series, they notice a striking anomaly. My team showed me digital images of the fronts and the backs of the Spanish elegies. And there were six from 1953, and this new one was 1955. When we saw the back of this one, we saw that it was signed very much the way the others were. For example, Robert Motherwell, and then underneath it, the date, 1955. And then... On a painting that was supposed to have been done three years earlier in 1953, once again, Spanish elegy in quotation marks and full caps on the top, almost exactly the same printing and the date in the same place. But Motherwell's signature is known to be inconsistent. Motherwell in particular signed pictures in different ways, in different months. So this was a real tell. This really made us suspicious. Another tell has to do with the two words, Spanish elegy. Now, this is something that Motherwell himself often said, my Spanish elegy paintings, or that's a Spanish elegy. But he did not put that on the backs of the paintings. And this is especially significant because those paintings that we were beginning to suspect were fakes had the title Spanish elegy on them. Another tell, and perhaps the most damning in Flam's mind, has to do with technique. As you look at the crispness and the intensity with which the real paint is painted, and you look at this, which is all kind of muffled and soft around the edges, Motherwell was very proud of and very careful about is the way in which he used variations of edge. So you get very sharp edges, very soft edges, so that kind of variation was something very important to him, uh, but the, something that the forger misses entirely. Their findings leave no doubt to Flam that the elegies are fake. For Daedalus, it just begs the question, where did these pictures come from? And going through the database, we found that none of these pictures had a provenance that went back before 1999. First owner for four of them, and Friedman Nodler Gallery. Other three, Julian Weissman. This is more than bizarre. You've got seven paintings. Four of them come from one gallery, and they're almost like one from one gallery the next year, one from the other, one from one, one from the other. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 
988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The art market can be secretive. Sometimes, super-rich buyers and sellers opt for discretion. Sellers like Glafira Rosales. Glafira wasn't ostentatious. She didn't have uh, flashy clothes. She didn't have uh, a, an extraordinary mansion that $30 million can buy. Uh, she had a nice home on Long Island. She had a nice authentic collection of art. And she lived a, a good life. But brokering art for her anonymous client, Mr. X, has put plenty of money in her pocket. The most lucrative sale comes in November 2007 when hedge fund billionaire Pierre Lagrange buys a Jackson Pollock painting from Nodler for $17 million. So over the course of 15 years, Golfiro Rosales was able to take 63 paintings, get $33 million out of them, and then the gallery sold them for $81 million. At this point, Jack Flam and researchers from the Daedalus Foundation appear to be the only skeptics. In fact, Flam finds the story of Mr. X astounding. And you know, this sounds like a classic, you know, these paintings were given to my aunt by her lover, um, and you know, nobody was supposed to know about the lover, and now the lover's dead and she wants to sell the paintings. I mean, this is a classic story for fronting fake paintings. He lays out his suspicions to Anne Friedman, the director of Nodler Gallery. My expectation was that she would be grateful because we're alerting her to a possible fraud and therefore she could take action. She could go back to the person she was getting them from and say, hey, what's the story? And instead she started arguing with us. While Ann Friedman declined to speak with American Greed, lawyer Luke Nickus defended her in later civil cases. Ann Friedman believed in these works. As she spent the better part of 14 years doing diligence in them, uh, hiring experts to research them, and she really believed in them. So, this was very disturbing. We had no doubt that the paintings were wrong, that Ann was being hoodwinked by someone. In December 2008, Daedalus refuses to enter the newly discovered works in their catalogue raisonné. The vast majority of people who own works by an artist, they want it to be in the catalogue raisonné because this is a sign of authenticity. To mitigate their concerns, Nodler agrees to submit the Spanish elegy to forensic testing. They run an arsenal of tests, including infrared spectroscopy, to help determine whether or not certain materials are present in a painting. The results? There was paint that was found that didn't exist at the time of some of the artists. In particular, the presence of acrylic polymer emulsion paints. But Robert Motherwell did not begin using this kind of paint until the 1960s. Based on the findings, the Daedalus Foundation refuses to stand by any of the seven Motherwell elegies. As rumors ripple through the art scene, more collectors are eyeing their paintings. Everyone who knew this body of work 
whether they thought the paintings were real or whether they thought the paintings were fakes, all said the same thing. If one of them is fake, they're all fake. Flam makes the decision to quietly contact the FBI. Jack Flam is probably the hero of this story because the FBI was involved early on, but he kept it very quiet and other people who knew what was going on kept it very quiet, which is the way that we can do our investigations. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. By 2009, Glafira Rosales is enjoying a long and lucrative run as the supplier of coveted masterpieces. The market got hotter and hotter, and it was something that Glafira Rosales was able to take advantage of. She's the biggest blessing the art market has seen in decades, but the gravy train is about to derail. So it turned out that I was not the only person who thought the paintings that were coming through Nodler and Julian Weissman were fake, but people weren't talking to each other. British billionaire Pierre Lagrange, who bought a $17 million Jackson Pollock from Nodler in 2007, is ready to let it go. But suddenly, he's having trouble unloading it. He tried to sell it at one of the big auction houses, and they refused to sell it. And because of Jack Flam's tip, the FBI Art Crimes Unit is now curious about the slew of paintings attributed to the same elusive provenance. We had to go down every avenue to find the negative, to find that Mr. X did not exist, to find that the client did not exist. When former assistant U.S. attorney Jason Hernandez joins the case, his first objective is clear. To get a criminal prosecution for fraud, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone intended to commit a fraud. And that's the highest burden in our law. Rosales may be the likeliest suspect, but it's not that simple. You want to try and figure out some link to an artist, to a manufacturing facility, to purchases that are suspicious, anything that would give us a clue as to who's making the paintings and where they're coming from. But every lead fizzles. He decides to dig at it from another angle, the Internal Revenue Service. I had never worked with the IRS before, and I thought, oh man, now this is gonna take forever. And it didn't. Enter IRS Special Agent Eric Yonke to follow the money. It's hard to walk away from bank statements, wire transfers, and payments. Between 2006 and 2011, Rosales asked the galleries to deposit her payments to two Spanish bank accounts, BBVA and Caja Madrid. During the three years of the investigation that we took into consideration, she received over $14 million from prominent New York City galleries for the work, works of art that she was selling. And central to Rosales' story is that she's an art broker for her Spanish client. If that's true, she would pay 90% to her mysterious client and collect a standard fee of 
She says she's representing somebody. Well, it's obviously got to go back to somebody. And if it's not going back to the person she claims to be representing, then there is nobody she's representing. The biggest red flag was her sending the money directly overseas after selling the pieces of artwork. The nail in the coffin was that she wasn't paying any clients. In particular, Glafira Rosales's mysterious client, Mr. X. What that told us was that her story was false. There is no family in Europe that owns these paintings. These are paintings that are almost certainly fake and that she's pulling off a scam and keeping the money in foreign bank accounts. The bank accounts linked to two new suspects, her longtime boyfriend, Carlos Bergantinos Diaz, and his brother, Jesus. While it strengthens the fraud case, it also breaks another case wide open, tax evasion. During 2006, 2008, we saw her receive a ton of money and majority of it sent overseas. So we were able to look at that and see how much she reported on her tax returns. She was reporting just over $2 million received for those three years, when in fact, she was receiving over $14 million. She was reporting peanuts on her tax returns. So from there, she's understating her income, lying on her tax returns, and she's also hiding the Spanish bank accounts overseas. In May 2013, Glafira Rosales is charged and held for tax fraud and money laundering. If convicted on all counts, she's looking at up to 34 years in prison. In the ensuing weeks, Pierre Legrand sends Nodler an expert's report that the Jackson Pollock painting he purchased for $17 million is yet another fake. One day later, the long-esteemed gallery closes its doors. Over 60 of these paintings spanning multiple artists, but it was really only towards the end of the scheme that the full picture was really brought to bear. In 2013, Glafira Rosales' astonishing 15-year art scam appears to be over. She got so enamored of what she was doing and thought that she was so good at it that she would absolutely never get caught. But now, if Rosales is convicted on tax and wire fraud charges, she faces more than three decades behind bars. The magistrate judge denied her bail, and her being detained, held without bail, probably caused her to think real hard about what her options were in this case. Glafira Rosales admits to passing off fake paintings as real. With the help of her boyfriend, Jose Carlos Bergantinos Diaz, and his brother, Jesus. One of the things that makes a fraud like this successful is a good false provenance. And the Bergantinos Diaz brothers were adept at that. They would conduct research in the historical record, in books, anything they could find, so that when the paintings were passed off, it was believable. Glafira also names the artist Forger, an elderly Chinese immigrant in Queens named Pai Shen Qian. For 15 years, Pai Shen Qian became Jackson Pollock, Robert Motherwell, Franz Klein, Mark Rothko, and any number of artists. In the 1970s, Qian used to paint portraits of Chairman Mao for schools and factories before immigrating to the United States. He didn't have much luck as a serious artist in the U.S. and had resorted to hustling portraits on the sidewalks of Manhattan. 
This is someone who Jose Bergantinos Diaz and Glafira Rosales found just painting in New York City one day, and they challenged him. They explained to Chian how buyers are simply looking for works in the manner of abstract expressionist masters. They asked him to paint in the style of Rothko or of Pollock to see if he could do it. And not only could he do it, he could do it well. For the next 15 years, in his modest studio in Queens, Pei Shun Chien creates dozens of lookalikes. This is a painting created by Pei Shun Qian, the forger. It's a painting that's supposed to look like Mark Rothko. It had the right color scheme. It had the right style for a Mark Rothko. You can see if you get close, you can see some of the brush strokes all consistent with the way Rothko painted. But it takes more than technique to fool savvy dealers. According to Rosales, that's where Jose stepped in to add his expertise. You need an older canvas for a painting that's supposed to be 60 years old. So they would go to flea markets and look for paintings that were of the right age and frames that were of the right age. Once Pai Shun finished a painting, Bergantinos added another touch of age. He would do things like empty the vacuum cleaner dustbin into the paintings so that dust and dirt would get into the crevices of the painting as you would expect to find in an older painting. And he would stain the canvases with tea bags and do other things to them to give them the appearance of age. Lastly, Bergantinos forges a signature. You can see it's white paint that he used to paint the actual words. But when you get close, you can see a brown tint to it. And it looks old to the naked eye. But when you actually test it, the brown is not from grime or age. It's like a varnish on top to make the white not so brilliant. But in some cases, the red flags were remarkably apparent. Like if anyone had bothered to look closer at this Pollock that hung on Anne Friedman's wall for decades. The signature for this work is down here in the lower uh, right corner. You can see the forger didn't spell Pollock correctly. It, it appears that he left out a C. Investigators aren't sure whether Pei Shun Chen is onto the scam from the beginning, but it's clear he eventually caught on. As a matter of fact, there came a time where he learned how much the paintings were being sold for, and he negotiated a raise. IRS agent Eric Yankee determines that Pei Shun Chin gets paid a few thousand dollars each for his imitations of top abstract expressionists. Mr. Bergantinos was paying him three to eight thousand dollars per painting, which is peanuts compared to what Ms. Rosales was initially selling them for. She's selling them for hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. In September 2013, Glafiro Rosales pleads guilty in court to wire fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. By the time Glafiro confesses, Pei Shun Qin has fled back to China. If fame and fortune was what he was hoping for, then perhaps he is a success. His works were in prominent museums. They sold for tens of millions of dollars in the aggregate. He was a famous artist, but not for who he was, but who he was pretending to be. Jose Carlos Bergantinos Diaz and his brother have taken refuge in Spain. 
In 2016, Spanish courts ruled against extraditing 60-year-old Diaz. He and his brother still face charges in the U.S. Here in the States, Glafiro Rosales is left holding the bag. She got uh, nine months of home detention, and she's got some supervised release time, and she got uh, restitution and forfeiture to the tune of about $81 million. In her defense, attorneys argued that Glafira's boyfriend put her up to the scheme. He was the one who had found the art forger, um, who then supplied Glafira Rosales with the paintings. A string of civil cases have been filed against Nodler and Company, art dealers Ann Friedman and Julian Weissman, and others taken in by Rosales. No criminal charges were filed against them. This is so egregious that there are people who will go to their grave saying Ann Friedman knew, the Nodler Gallery knew, Julian Weissman knew. How could they not know? Because they themselves have never been on that end, and they don't realize what it means to be the victim of a con artist. Glafira Rosales really embedded herself in the art world in a careful way that allowed Nodler Gallery to look at the situation and say, this is convincing to us. Julian Weissman declined to comment for American Greed. To date, most of the lawsuits have been settled out of court. The defendants have denied any wrongdoing. Art and jewelry are the last sort of bastions of unregulated business. If you're a collector, if you're in this art world, it truly is buyer beware. This was the discovery of dinosaur bones that turned out not to be dinosaur bones. Glafira Rosales perpetrated the most important, most significant art fraud in this century. Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.